Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I'm your host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Boy, today we have yet another auditorial for you, my monthly soapbox that I like to get on and tell you about something that's on my mind. And today's a little bit different because I have a colleague joining me, my friend Badir McCleary, the one and only. Badir McCleary from Art Above Reality. Badir has been a friend for a few years now, and we are collaborating on this very cool project that he's doing called Remote, which is an exploration of public art here in America and elsewhere as well. But what is public art? And, you know, do you even need people for it to be public art? And what happens to public art when you bring it indoors? You know, I mean, all kinds of interesting things. Is it what about public art when there's no one there around to see it? Is it public art when there's no people? These are all very fascinating questions that Badir is exploring in this new video story series remote that he's doing. And so today's auditorial, I thought, It'd be good to sort of talk to Badir about his vision for this and find out. We've already dropped a couple of episodes where we're going to drop, by the time you hear this, probably be episode three. There's six episodes. We're dropping them every two weeks at notrealart.com. So be sure to check it out. Episode one was all about Desert X out here in Southern California. Episode two was all about public art, murals and markers in Philly, Philadelphia, City of Love. Badir's hometown, and he's got a bunch of exciting stuff planned for episode three, four, and five, and six. So you got to check all that out. And just, you know, here's the thing. And, you know, this is my little soapbox before we get into this chat with Badir. But, you know, the reality is, you know, the so-called world of arts and art world and creative culture, creative arts. I mean, you know, these are worlds within worlds. And, you know, there are so many stories uh, that, can be told that should be told that are often left untold because, you know, A, there's just so much work to do and not a lot of people doing the work. You know, when it comes to art media or art journalism, you know, there's a few players out there, but, you know, they tend to focus on, you know, high end art or, you know, auction sales and outstanding price tags or museum shows or, some art fair or what have you. And, but yet really at the end of the day, any artist will tell you, you know, art is for the people and should be out there in the public sphere and should be democratized. And so there's so many stories around public art and around, you know, contemporary art that just aren't being told. And so for, you know, and, and I just, you know, and that's obviously part of the reason why we do what we do to help tell those stories 
And, you know, so for me, I feel like there's such an opportunity for new voices to come into the space. And that's what we try to do, right? We try to provide a unique perspective, a unique voice to celebrate and elevate the artists that deserve to have light shined on them. And, you know, that wouldn't maybe, you know, have exposure or promotion without us or, you know, what have you. So, you know, so this is what we're passionate about. We're passionate about helping artists tell their stories and promote their work. And so is Badir, right? Badir is one of these voices that is passionate about helping artists tell their stories and promote their work and helping to democratize art and helping to educate people about the power of art and the importance of art for the Commonwealth. And so I want to just encourage you to, you know, wherever you are, wherever you live, you know, you too are a voice. You know, there are stories all around you that you should be telling, that you could be telling and, you know, and be that advocate and be that ambassador for your local art scene and for your local artists and for the art you love and the artists you love, you know, tell your friends, tell your people, put it on your Facebook, put it on your Instagram, you know, artists need the love, need the exposure, you know, they need that elevation and that booster, you know, so that's, you know, here, what we try to do at Not Real Art and what I'm trying to do, you know, is to A, you know, help artists tell their stories and promote their work as a unique and new platform, but also find those voices, find those ambassadors, find those advocates like Badir out there in the world who just have so much knowledge and have a great, you know, ability and talent and intelligence for communicating about art in an easy to understand way for the rest of us. And so, you know, so I think that there's so many stories out there that we need to tell. We all need to participate in telling those stories in any way that we can. We don't have to be, you don't have to be a professional. You just have to like something. If you like a piece of art, tell somebody. If you like an artist, tell somebody. That is it. And so, you know, with Badir, you know, I'm just so grateful for him and that he's bringing his talents to our platform and helping you know, shine a light on these amazing artworks and these amazing artists in the public art sphere. And so, you know, please be sure to go to notrealart.com and check out the remote video series that Badir is doing. It's incredible. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to be inspired. And, you know, so I just thought today would be great to hear from Badir. He's already, you know, he's been in production now for a few months and he's, you know, basically wrapping up the sixth episode now and we'll be dropping that in a few weeks. But I just thought it'd be cool to check in with him and have a chat and see what's on his mind and how he's feeling, what he's thinking, and and also give you a little information about what this is shaping up to be. So anyway, without further ado, you know, let's get into this. Let's get into my conversation here on my monthly auditorial series, and let's talk to the one and only Badir McCleary. Here we go. Dear McCleary, my brother in art, welcome oh, yeah. back to the show. I'm happy to be back, of course. Man, I tell you what, anytime you're in the house, my heart just gets a bit bigger and my consciousness elevates too. Like, you're good yeah, medicine, man, I mean, brother. Yo, you're good medicine for me, man. Like, every time I get a chance to talk to you, you're, I can see the smiles through the phone. You know what I mean? And it just it puts me in a good mood to always talk to good people, brother. And I'm blessed to have you around and, you know, just blessed to work with you. Well, the feeling is mutual and the smile is uh, mutual, too, because your smile pretty much lights up the planet, too. So, <laughs> yeah, man, we got to keep this positive vibes going. You know, as we talk about this world can be crazy sometimes, but as long as you got those positive people and good projects, man, you just push you through. That's it. That's it. And, you know, just stay faithful, right? Stay faithful. Yes, sir. You know, and keep at it and, you know, let the God sort it out, you know, at the end of the day, right? Because we just got to oh, yeah. do what we do and 
have a pure heart. And we do. And we love what we do. And here we are again to talk about some love because, man, oh, man, I mean, your new series, which, you know, I'm just so proud of the new series Remote that you and I have been collaborating on. But really, you've been driving it, brother. This is your vision. This is your baby. This is you've written it, directed it, produced it, edited it, voiced over music. I mean, you know, everything from A to Z, soup to nuts, you know, end to end, whatever, whatever analogy. But man, I'm just so, so excited about what you're doing with remote because, you know, this began as a conversation, you know, months ago now where you and I said, man, what can we do together? And, you know, and I just said to you, man, I want you to do whatever you want to do. You know, like I want you to, you know, because we've been wanting to collaborate for a while. And I mean, you know, my whole thing is let a tiger be a tiger. You know what I mean? Let a, (laughs) let let a, let let a, (laughs) right. Let a bear be a bear. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, let people do what they do. And, and that's why I just was like, man, you know, whatever you're feeling, whatever you want to do. And you came up with this beautiful concept called remote and exploring what public art is in various environments. And I guess by the time this conversation is heard, maybe even the third episode will have dropped, but Mm -hmm. we just dropped the first one. The second one is coming out this week. The third one will come out two weeks after that. And you've got six in the can. You've done, you're doing six of these episodes. Man, I just, number one, thank you. Number two, I'm so honored. But number three, how are you feeling, man? I mean, because that's so much work. I feel great. I mean, it's one of those things where like, where those projects aren't work, you know what I mean? Where, you know, the effort is part of the overall result, you know, like there's times when I'm editing and I'm like, I'm done. And I'm like, maybe I'm not, I want to change this scene. I want to change this photo. Hey, Scott, what do you think about this? You know, like, you're like, Hey bro, like this little part here or this there. And I'm like, all right, I need that. Or I might reach out to man one or my mom or my little brother you know, or a random <laughs> yeah. person that watches it. Trusted because, voices. You know, exactly. You know, and everybody has a interest in the content and an interest to see me win. So I reach out for that type of encouragement, that type of criticism to make me better. That makes the shows better. One of my buddies, Kev, who's like one of my most critical friends, but he's like the one you want responding to your project. Right. Tough love, tough love. Yeah. He comes with a list. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, bro, I wish you could have said this a little better. I wish you could have did this, but it's all helpful because I take it in and like, you know, Kev, he's a viewer, you know, and he gives me the responses of a viewer that's really paying attention. So I'm able to take those and bring them in the lab and, you know, incorporate them into episodes. And the more I do that, I can see the improvement in each episode to where it's like, all right, I can recut this to make it better. I can readjust the audio to make this sound better. I think this sound would be better here, this image. So I've been really happy about going in, cutting and recutting and just because of the response. Right. You know, that shows all the hard work paid off. You know, we've been getting some good emails, some texts, some comments that have been like, dude, this has been really awesome. You and Scott's been rocking it. And it really makes that feel good. 
you know, just knowing the extra hour you put in, the extra cut, the extra touch on the episode and i'm just excited to see how much better they'll get over time exactly exactly (laughs) yeah i mean you know how many of those shows that you know whether it's i mean we've all seen it whether it's like a a reality show or some Mm -hmm. you know sitcom or some other you know drama whatever you know the first season the first episode first few episodes first season it's a bit rougher, right? It's a bit, yeah, maybe it doesn't look so polished, you know, cause, cause there's not, you know, like they're just figuring it out. And then, you know, if the show blows up and it stays on, it just gets better and better and better and better. And then mm-hmm. like two seasons in, man, it looks like a shiny diamond or whatever, you know? <laughs> and, you know, the first episode was awesome, but you know, for remote, but you know, they're only going to get better because, you know, you learn to make the donuts better, right? It's like, Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. 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 Look, maybe this powdered sugar, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Right. <laughs> Or getting it, getting them. I did. So, for instance, like uh, last night, we talked about pulling it all nighter. So there's a donut shop by my place. (laughs) So I went maybe like four o'clock and asked for some glaze. And he was like, oh, yeah, I don't have any yet. Like, maybe give me five minutes. So I was like, all right, I'll wait. And man, that wait was the best response to, like, <laughs> to anything because fresh out of the oven so right good. oh fresh out bro so it was like that feeling that we're talking about right like giving it five more minutes just waiting for the best result and i guess that uh, analogy is going to speak to the episodes you know like giving them five more minutes they're just getting better they're just getting sweeter you know and I'm I'm a huge sitcom watcher and you know series watcher and you know those like Breaking Bad, Secession, Sopranos, The Wire, they all get so much better as they go along because just like you said, they're figuring it out. They're figuring out the roles inside of there. You know, I'm figuring out which camera angles look better for interviews, for art, how to best tell stories on objects, interviews with people how to mix in reviews with storytelling. So I'm learning how to be a better storyteller through this project, which is making my writing better, which is making everything around me so much more detail-oriented, I should say. And it just makes me want to dive deeper on the episodes because I can bring so much more out of them. You know, I tell you, bro, one of my biggest things is not making these episodes 45 minutes long. (laughs) Of course, right? That's <laughs> you know the, what I mean? I, yeah, the distillation, man. It's all. <laughs> so it's like a lot of times I'm like, all right, bro, you got to shorten this story up. You got to make sure you're able to tell this great tale in 10 minutes, you know, which is probably the hardest thing to do in film because there's so much you think you leave out. You know, oh, I want to show this photo. It's important. Oh, I want to show this. But you got to understand in editing and storytelling how to get it right to the customer. You know, they don't want a dozen donuts. They want one. That's right. And it better be damn good. And and I better get it on demand, uh, streaming into my, you know, whatever. Exactly. You know. Well, I tell you, you know, I mean, you're hit. You're I'm learning to make one good donut. Yeah, and we're gonna have half a dozen here in a minute. But um, exactly. <laughs> but the, and I love this donut analogy clearly. But anyway, the point is, is that you know this idea, right, of finding one's voice, mm-hmm. right, and then that has multi layers to it because the show itself has a voice, right, like a story mm-hmm. you're trying to tell about public art. Well, okay. 
you know, how does that story evolve? How does that voice, you know, that narrative evolve? The look of the show, you know, like how does that evolve? You know, because out of the gate, you already have established like a look and a style, mm-hmm. you know, an aesthetic for the show itself. And then you as the on-screen, you know, not just narrator, but I mean like the on-screen host, the on-screen guide, you know, you're having a story to tell. And so, and you've got the knowledge, right? No doubt about that. But it's like, then how do you communicate that knowledge, you know, in a way that's really easy for people to consume and then take in, understand, retain, enjoy, want to do it again. So this idea of voice, this idea of story is is one of those things that while you're coming out of the gate hot already, it just is going to get better and better as you iterate, right? As you go down that path. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is like one of the first series or type of content that I produce where I'm in front of the camera. Yep. So yep. there's your handsome. There's good thing you're handsome because, you know, <laughs> if you had the face for radio, I don't know that I would have wanted to do this. Yeah, man. Like it, I try to get a little bit of those nerves out. I mean, one of the things that's very cool, but that's kind of like nerve wracking for me for doing this is that when I'm stopping and pulling the camera out in situations like galleries, museums, or even public spaces, and I start to talk and maybe I'm saying something interesting, you know, people kind of gather around and that kind of freaks me out sometimes because I'm like, okay, Am I saying, am I, do I sound smart to that? You, you know right, I mean? right, right. So it's like sometimes, like in the beginning, when I was really starting to do the early filming and stuff like that, I would get kind of nervous and be like, oh man, like I wish these people would kind of, you know, take walk that way or I would go to a different direction. But now it's like I've been able to engage with them in a different way with me on camera to where I'm answering their questions kind of like, on camera so it's like the crowd is helping me with my narration a bit because they're asking me what you doing what's this project about oh yeah i'm working on this project called remote you know we're talking about public art around different places see this art piece here this is charles dixon you know wishing on a star so again when we talk about that guide wherever i'm at i become like the (laughs) on-site curator for whatever I'm near. But it also gives me an opportunity again to engage. Hey, this is where you can find the series. This is what this is about. This is where this artist's works come from. And to be honest, it's got me a good amount of new fans. You know, it's allowed me to talk to some elders and some youth that had no idea what they were looking at. And it allowed me to practice my narration for the series that we have. So as you see, the series get better and better with my narration. They'll get better with shot selection, with just me understanding the story I want to tell. And I remember we talked about with the first episode of just, you know, not just establishing the look, but the tone, the pacing. How do we want to present what we're saying to the crowd? And I think I'm starting to get much more comfortable with that storytelling aspect because of that engagement with the crowd, because I'm remembering what this lady said or remembering what this gentleman said out when I'm filming. So it's extremely helpful. Well, and you know, it's also like you're a one man band, right? And you're feeling very acutely, you're feeling why 
the division of labors exist, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, the writing, the producing, the, the directing, the talent, the voiceover, the music, oh, the editing, there are, you know, professionals for each of these things in the world yeah. and you are doing all of them. <laughs> right. And, and, I'm and that's such, that. Well, of course. And that's such a beautiful thing. And, you know, it's empowered because so many reasons, right. In technology, mm-hmm. you know, is affordable now and, you know, all this stuff, like we're all empowered to create now, which is amazing. It's a blessing. Yeah. And some of us do it better than others. And brother, you're doing it is well, if not better than most, you know, and, 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 and I'm just so grateful. So, you know, but I mean, in terms of all these elements, all these things, just the more we do, the more you do, the better and better you're going to get. But I mean, just like the editing alone, like you get everything in the can that you want, you get the shots, you get the footage, whatever it is. And then you have to go back into the lab, so to speak, And, you know, aggregate all that media, watch all that stuff, you know, raw materials, see what you got. Then you got to start, you know, slicing and dicing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, editing alone is a whole thing. I remember a friend of mine went to UCLA film school and she was telling me that in the editing class, like one of the projects that they did was they gave all the students the same uncut footage of a famous movie. I forget what movie it was, you know, or a TV show or something. Right. But it should, they just got the raw footage. Right. Yeah. And they said, okay, now go cut this episode, you know, and they already had, you know, like they knew what the original cut looked mm-hmm. like. Right. And then she said it was so powerful because everybody t- had that same raw material and came back with 30 different versions because mm-hmm. editing is so personal and it can be, everybody has their own kind of unique take, you know? Yeah. And also editing art is ever evolving because as you're learning about art, especially public art, I mean, we visit a new piece of public art every day, whether knowingly or unknowingly. And with art, you know, like we talked about ever evolving, you're learning something new about public art in the environment. So certain episodes, it's like, oh, man, I want to recut that narration. Or I want to get a different shot of that piece because what I learned about it today needs to be in this episode. Or, you know, this quote or this book that I've read gave me a different perspective on what I'm looking at. So there's certain things that I cut, like from Philly or Bombay Beach or in New York or at Noah Purifoy, that I'm like, man, I didn't see this that way before. Why didn't I shoot it from this angle or why didn't I get it from that angle? For one instance, like, you know, in a episode and we're giving a little bit of the future here with the Noah Purifoy's place, uh, the Desert Museum episode, like it's certain pieces that's like it really brings them to life from the angle you show them at. And I was going through different footage, looking at that, just prepping for an episode. And, and I was like, man, this cut of this footage looks so much more powerful than this one because of this angle. So when I'm cutting, I need to be aware of the impact of how the piece is that matches the narration because the voice explaining what's on screen and the power in the word matching the power in the visual makes something unforgettable. You know, So I'm really trying to understand that. I mean, I've watched 
hella Anthony Bourdain documentary. <laughs> yeah, I love the my shout guy. out, man. Yeah. Um, you know, Vice is a really good teacher. They do really good with impact shots. And, you know, remote has been a form of study. You know, just understanding filmmaking, re-understanding public art, understanding how to deliver to audiences in a different way. So not only has this been a project that's been fun, it's been very, very eye-opening, you know, and a master class in being, you know, understanding how to deliver visual production in a sense for someone to take in in less than 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> boy, oh boy, isn't that the case? I mean, you know, because we get in a whole conversation about, you know, storytelling in, in the modern age, because, you know, people's attention spans are very challenged for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. But if nothing else, you know, we're living in the TikTok generation, right? Where yeah. it's like bite-sized stories, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And uh, so, yeah. So how do you adapt? How do you tell a richer, deeper story about something that isn't easy, like art. I mean, you know, and then how do you put that across in a way that people are going to be compelled, get it, want to engage? And, you know, and it's a fascinating puzzle. I, I love it. You know, and I think you're doing yeah. a killer job. Come back. Yeah. You know, we, we want them to come back and watch episode two, you know, in three and four, you know. That's right. We want them to come back and, you know, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. We want to make it as compelling to where they're like, man when is the next episode coming? Because we've had a few of those. You know, people are like, okay, when's episode two? And I'm like, oh man, I want to drop this, but we got to- I know, I know. Wait, I know. You know? It, it, it's in those moments, you're like, oh man, we should have dropped them every other day. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Not every two weeks. People don't want to wait. Because yeah. people are, I mean, that's the other thing too, because we're living in a binging culture, right? Mm -hmm. So, So they don't have to wait anymore for the next episode. You know, yeah. so it's like, oh, well, I want to see the next one now. Instant gratification, you know, and, you know, we're teasing but I, people. But I, but I will <laughs> say that the weekly wait is making a comeback because I've watched a few shows on Apple TV, Hulu that were waiting a week. And I'm telling you, the, the conversation like we're having now, you know, just debating about what happened in that episode is becoming a thing again. You know, so that people are able to get caught up with the narrative and the story, be able to understand the characters. You know, in this case, in our case, I mean, they're art pieces. You know, I've had a person reach out and say, you know, dude, are those still there out there? You know, like at Desnex, you know, I'm going out to visit a friend out there. You know, could I stop by there? And I'm like, yeah, you know, a few of them are still up. You know, you can check out the Desnex website, really go out there and view them. I think you'd love them. So it's one of those things where we're introducing people to things, too. And they're using remote as a guide to find out what's cool out there in art. So being able to continue as a public arts authority, you know, it's a cool thing. People are depending on us in a sense to give them ideas. You know, and I also think that first episode was great for the summer, right? Because there's a lot of families that are doing travel, having a great time, getting out of the city, wanting to stop somewhere cool on their way to their destination. So I thought that was very apropos, you know, as a first episode and a good summer episode and also a good introduction episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. And we got episode two coming up. So tell us oh, about yeah. episode two. So episode two is a special one. We did it in Philly, which is my hometown. And I got to really talk about 
the markers and murals in the city. So those are like two of the most defining aesthetic objects or pieces of information in Philadelphia. They're the true guides of the city. Like there's literally a marker on every other block, maybe. So how many Um, markers total do you think? Oh, man, it's got to be over a thousand because there's the city markers and there are the county markers, too. So like Philadelphia City has had, you know, we all know about, you know, Independence Mall, right? You know, we see Nicolas Cage's National Treasure. We see Philly all around. But it has some true artistic gems there. You know, we have the Barnes Foundation, PAFA, Philadelphia Museum of Art. But we have a lot of local families who are prestigious that have worked with some of the most iconic artists in history, went to some of the best schools, they're collected by some of the top collectors. And one of those families are the Tiberino family, who Gabe and Raph are some of my you know closest buddies and top artists in the city. I got a chance to meet Big Joe before he passed. I never met Ellen Powell Tiberino, but both of them are just amazing artists. And they have this sanctuary in the middle of West Philly where they've invited artists for over 40 years, you know, to create, draw, house. I mean, they own four houses between two blocks, between row home blocks, and turned the backyards into a literal residency, art space, gallery, events, yard I mean, you could go there most days during the week and find artists painting, figure drawing, creating the layouts for murals, or just having an event, you know, celebrating Philadelphia. I found out about it when I was super young and have been going there over the years and just seeing some of the most eclectic creators seeing the most amazing pieces in the world. I mean, I always joke with Gabe, he's got this large bust of the Virgin Mary in his living room. I think that his dad did maybe like 14 feet just sitting there. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I crack up like, dude, who else has this, you know, in the house? You know, because Big Joe Tiberino was an amazing sculptor, painter, mixed media artist. And he did a lot with spiritual works. So he would create, you know, like a lot of the things that you see in churches, you know, the Virgin Mary holding Jesus, uh, a lot of stories from the Bible and would incorporate them in his contemporary works, which leads to this amazing mural that they have hidden in this place in the uh, Tiberino Museum. And it's wrapped around the home. So this mural has been there since about, you know, the late 70s. And Big Joe has added different stuff to it over the years to where it has grown and really has become a part of the, not just the space, but the environment around it with plants growing near it. And it's, you know, part of, like I said, the house where it's maneuvering around the windows and the doors, you know, it just shows how much muralism and family values are a part of Philadelphia's artistic culture because they have generations of art making. I mean, everybody paints. I mean, even Gabe's son, I'm sure he grabs pieces of crayon and stuff like that and can draw better than the average adults, you know, because it's just in their blood. So 
we get a chance to talk about Gabe because Gabe is responsible for a lot of murals in the city. The process of making those murals, he's actually making one at Tiberino Museum. Another artist friend of mine, Taki, where he's helping with the murals. He's also a muralist in the city. And we get to talk about the importance of muralism and markers in the city and why the Tiberino Museum should have a marker and that mural there. So it's personal for me because, again, it's my neighborhood. They're my friends. They're iconic in the city. And I believe that they truly deserve a marker and recognition in the city. They're like a modern day Barnes Foundation for me. They're a school. They're known as the West Philly Wyatts. <laughs> I just think they're a gem, you know, a real true gem to art making in Philadelphia. And they've touched so many artists and collector hearts. And I actually did an episode on Ellen Powell Tiberino on the Fall Through the Crack series. And it just really allowed me to connect both projects to really talking about how much that family means. And I'm just honored to tell that story. Right, right. Yeah. And that whole thing about, you know, community taking a village, you know, politics being local, you know, I mean, families like that, people like that are vital, right? Vital, mm -hmm. you know, to the well-being of the Commonwealth in any given community, right? And that's, you know, one very beautiful example of a family in Philly. And you also makes you wonder, like, where are the other families in other in other cities, right? Because there are other people, yeah. right, that are driving oh, their yeah. local culture and mm. protecting it, preserving it, nurturing it, you know, driving it, you know. And so the fact that you covered this, let alone know them in such a personal way, you know, it's one of the richest, most lovely examples of what remote is about, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, because those markers have that exact story on them, you know, where you go to a place where the markers at, and it gives you, like we talk about a short, succinct description of history, you know, literally one minute, a paragraph of what it is. So in this episode, what we did was we, you know, we talk about what those markers are and then give you a story that belongs on that marker and gives you the idea of thinking of, yeah, maybe this family should have a marker, you know? And I think that's the gem of that episode. It's like, just like you said earlier, thinking about who are the families in your neighborhood that really provide opportunities, that really keep that heartbeat of the arts community going. There's plenty of those families in Philadelphia. Tiberinos are, you know, just one of the few amazing families. Uh, the Dupre family with James Dupre, who I can't wait to get back and talk to, is another mentor. You know what you the know. word that we haven't used, I don't think, is the is the word leader. These are leaders. Leader. Leaders. leaders yes. And yes. and they're leading the way and over decades, over generations. And, oh yeah. And that leadership is what every community needs. And I think they're leaders. And not just for personality's sake, right? Because they were able to create different assets for the community. You know, they're able to build with the community members. You know, they know all of the Philadelphia-based artists that rose to prominence. You know, the Barclay Hendrixes, the Reginald Gammons, Ellen Powell Tiberinos, and so many more. 
and Philadelphia has a just a breadth of amazing art schools to where these artists have taught some of the, you know, premier artists in our art world today. A lot of them have walked in and out the doors of PAFA, you know, which is very exciting to me. A lot of them have works at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. You know, a lot of them have visited the Barnes Foundation or the Rodin or or the Woodmere. You know, there's so many classic museums with works that artists could study throughout history to really learn the canon and how their work relates to it. And these artists are prime examples of creative artists that have done that and incorporated that into their work and in their communities. So I'm happy to feature. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, it's such a beautiful, beautiful episode. So that's episode two. So give us a little tease for the episode three, four, five, and six. Like what's coming at us? Oh, man. So episode three, I mentioned a little bit of four with Noah Purifoy. So episode three, we have public art coming inside. So I was able to visit Thomas J. Price's episode at Hauser and Worth. I reached out to him for an interview. So I'm hoping that he can find this time to add some, you know, from the horse's mouth. Name it it and claim it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But I wanted to juxtapose his work versus the work of the artist Charles Dixon, who we mentioned earlier, who has a lot of public art pieces at the Watts Towers, at Cam, and a few others, but also has had works that have gone into galleries, just like a Noah Purifoy and a few others. So I wanted to explore the perspective of public art from a viewer when it comes inside. Does it feel the same? Do you still look at his public art? You know, no, it's a fascinating question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, because there's been some works that have been, you know, out for the public domain, but they've been included in an exhibition for history purposes or, you know, telling a different story and they look different in a museum or they look different in the gallery. They don't have the same impact because the light's not hitting it because the birds are not on it. Yeah, right. Um, It's one of those things about environment. How does it change? One of those things I thought about when doing this episode is a visit to Alcatraz. You go there and you see it when it was active as an active prison. It's a whole lot of moving parts and things like that. But now that it's been out of commission for years, it's become a bird sanctuary. You know, to where the birds are using the public island much different so that when you come up on it now, a lot of the places that used to be accessible to humans are now like literally sanctuaries where almost extinct birds are literally reproducing. Reclaiming it, really. Reclaiming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so how does that reclamation happen? You know, is this the gallery reclaiming the piece or do the viewer beg for that reclamation back outside? And I think Noah Purefoy's place is a great example of that because they have loaned pieces from outside to a museum and they have returned back to their public art space. So I think episode three blends right into episode four just brilliantly. And then also we go back to Philly with a episode with Graffiti Pier, which I'm so interested about. And then another New York episode and a special L.A. one with a muralism. And then we do some really exciting ones after that for season two. So <laughs> I'm, I'm already making some calls and a uh, few I can't wait. things. I with can't like wait. Marfa, 
Art Basel time. Oh, yeah. So, it, yeah, it's a lot, a lot coming. Man, oh, man. And that's what's so exciting because, you oh, know. Oh, and Bombay Beach. Oh, let's forgot, not forget. I forgot about that one. Yeah. That one's going to be great. That might be my favorite episode. Oof. Oof. All right, people. You heard it here first. <laughs> That might be my favorite. Oh, yeah. I love it. What one is that one? That one is five or that's six? That's going to be five. Five, yeah. right. Okay, cool, cool. Yep. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I'm just juiced, man. I mean, I'm just, you know, like smiling from ear to ear, you know, because, you know, I'm spoiled because, you know, I get sneak peeks and stuff because, you know, this is yeah, uh, a little bit of a collaboration. But I mean, I still don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know it, you know, I mean, you show me, you know, when you feel like you're ready to show me at each time. It's just a gift, you know, because you're just so damn smart Thank and you're you, so generous and you're so articulate, you know, and relatable. And, you know, it's like because that's the thing, right? Like you and I talk about this all the time. Like the art world does such a good job of making itself completely inaccessible or or irrelevant or unrelatable, you know, yeah. to most people out there. And, you know, it's our job and our mission and our passion to make art accessible and understandable mm-hmm. and, af- and affordable and democratic, you know what I mean? Like it's arts for the people, you know, like most definitely. And that's why public art was a great topic for this project that we were working on because you don't have to worry about galleries closing, you know, things like that. People can easily just go access what we're talking about. It makes everyone feel included. You know, it's not just, oh, well, you might have missed it or you had to have a ticket. No, you just go. You know, you can even put the episode on your phone and watch it while you're there. You know, I think that's the brilliance about it. You know, if you want to take your Desert X trip and you find one of the pieces that are still there and you want to pull up, you know, the remote podcast or the remote episode, you can. You know, and that, that's what makes this series, what do I say, a good sidekick. <laughs> yes, your wingman. <laughs> wingman, exactly. Your uh, wing cast. Yeah, there you go, brother. <laughs> this is just so exciting and, you know, we're just so grateful. And we're already, you know, getting some really beautiful, positive feedback. Your alma mater, Sotheby's yeah. is loving it. I mean, you know. Yeah, man. It's been really cool. Just the folks that have been reaching out, colleagues, family, friends, random folks (laughs) like, hey, you know, I really love this. And it just shows that the work that we're putting in is good one and it's appreciated. And, you know, with me, one of the questions I asked when we did episode one with folks is that, would you watch another? And they said, yeah, you know, so that's the big part of it. You know, it's like. We get some families like, hey, I'm supporting you because you're family. But it's like, you know, they'll watch the one, but they're not going to continue watching it. But when folks said they'll watch episode two and then when they ask the date when episode two comes out, you know, and I give them a time. Yeah. You know, every other Wednesday, you know, we're doing this. They're ready to see it. You know, even showing the previewing the uh, episode to the artists, you know. Right. Freaking loved it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So and then it's so the second follow on question, right, to measure that level of appreciation and traction 
It's sort of like, well, A, oh, will you watch the next one? Yes or no. And then Mm -hmm. will you tell a friend? Yes or no. Yes. And so far, everyone's doing both. They're telling their friends. They can't wait for the next one. You know, so. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, with everything you do, you think you're good, right? You know, but only the audience is going to tell you if it's really good or not. So that feedback we're getting is letting us know that the work is not in vain. And it makes me, like we said in the beginning, you know, want to make every episode better. How do I make this next episode just as exciting or even more exciting or better takeaway for whoever's viewing? So that's my goal. Well, and, you know, just to kind of bring it back around, I guess, but I mean, that idea of like making it better, like there's so many levels to it, too, because, I mean, you know, you're going to learn you know, I don't know if you edit in Final Cut or what you edit in, but I mean, oh, the yeah. reality is, is like, it's like, you know, you're just going to go deeper and deeper on Final Cut and you're going to learn different tricks, little plugins, exactly. little shortcuts, whatever it is. They're like, it's just going to, you know, help the piece get better and better the more you get to know just the tools, right? Like that you're mm-hmm. using, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I've been using, you know, Final Cut for years on little stuff, you know, quick edits and things like that you know, for small documentaries that I've done, but editing a series like this is much different. You know, like I said, the pacing is different. The cuts, the type of shot, you know, is different. And, you know, looking at the legends, you know, like Bourdain, you know, and seeing how he's calmly telling his stories and his production team just always seemed to be on the money with the shots or getting the right scene that really emphasizes the mission of the episode you know i just want to be as effective as that well but then right you watch those first couple seasons versus the last couple seasons i mean night and day right night and day oh yeah it's like you just see the comfortability and everybody just know like all right this is what we're doing we got the flow we know we know exactly what shots we need we know exactly which overlay we want to talk about and again, like you said, that's just over time, three is going to be better than two, four is going to be better than, you know, and just more and more and more. Well, you know, that's the old, that's the 10,000 hours thing too, right? It's like, you yeah. know, it's like, hopefully we're faster study than 10,000 hours, but, you know, but yeah, you know, it's yeah. like more hours. I mean, you're just going to get better and better the more you invest and the more you practice, right? I mean, that's it. Yeah. You, you know? know, and with the, you know, I'm looking toward possibly getting you know, some new lenses and things like that, too, in the future. So it's like the look might change again to where it's like it might look like, you know, a film. It could be a little bit more, you know, I'm excited. Cinematic, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, being able to see like, you know, especially from the first six, like, how did people receive that? Maybe, you know, we'll do a survey or something. It's like, hey, what did you guys see? What did you what did you think it was missing? Because that stuff is beneficial and being able to tell it a different way or give it a different look. It might again, like we talked about with framing shots, you know, it might bring a little bit more intensity to it or more information or, you know, just seeing how things change. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, stay tuned, people. Stay tuned. More coming at you. You know, it, it, oh, you talk yeah. about you talk about the lenses. I mean, that's very exciting because it is funny because I, I know a few guys that you know work in production, you know, behind the behind the camera or whatever. And you know, it's funny to, they'll talk about the glass. 
You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you know, well, yeah, we're, you know, it's all about the glass. We got to, you know, and of course they're talking about the lenses, but it's like, you know, yeah. but it's just the levels to that. I mean, oh yeah, it's like wild, man. You know, like when you start to really appreciate, you know, like what good gear really brings, you know. Oh yeah. And then also, you know, how you can be flexible, you know, there's, there's, you know, being that it's just me kind of going out there maneuvering, you got to be careful which gear you pack, right? You know, because you got, you can't carry everything as I'll be out there on a whole mission. So just trying to just recreate kits and understanding, you know, over time, like, all right, when I go there, I use this gimbal, I use this tripod, I think this is better or having this to check color balance to, you know, do the filters for, you know, neutral density, things like that. And that just, you know, equipment and all of those things just keep making everything better. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, I tell you what, the linchpin, though, in terms of making everything better is you, my dear friend. And, you know, we wouldn't be doing this without you. And I'm just so grateful that you're doing it and that you had took time out of your after an all nighter, people, by the way, Badir is talking to us right now after yet another all nighter, your third all nighter this week, right? Yeah, just, you know, Scott and I, we talk often about, you know, just the the crazy times we're in. And, you know, I'm a person that just tries to lace up the boots, pull up the pants and just try to give it every opportunity or every bit of effort that I can and try to make something out of it, you know, and I think that's apropos for the series as well. You know, it's just going there. There's some places where it's like I can't film. I've got some footage in places where I wasn't supposed to be pulling out the camera, but you got to get it done, you know, at least give out that effort. If you pull out the camera and get caught, you can say, oh, well, I tried. (laughs) Yeah, that's when it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission, right? It's like sometimes you just got to hack it. Yeah, got to hack it. You got to just take that approach. So that's what my all-nighters are for, just trying to give myself some extra chances, you know? There you go, brother. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what, hopefully you can catch a power nap at some point today because I know the work is never done. And, you know, we need our beauty sleep from time to time. So hopefully uh, you can catch a power nap at some point today. But, but dear McCleary, brother, thank you so much for stopping in after yet again another all-nighter to chop it up here a little bit and get people excited about what you're doing with remote, what's out there already, what's coming at them, and the vision for the future because it's all love and it's all enlightenment because people are going to learn and they're going to get bigger and they're going to grow. Their consciousness is going to be elevated. Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. All right, brother. We'll go <laughs> go get some coffee or tea or whatever it is. I don't know what you I, need. I'm, I got to go hit the streets and try to make it happen. There's no sleep for the weary. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. The show must go on. The show must exactly. go on. All right, exactly. my friend. Well, you be well, you be safe, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.